This is Bill Munhausen with another episode of What Makes Sense. I must admit I hadn't thought much about election primaries until I listened to a debate about whether primaries are a good thing. It seems right to me that political primaries have been around forever, but not so. George Washington and many others never ran in a primary election to determine running for president. Binding primaries where the winner in a state gets all of the state's electoral votes are truly a recent phenomenon since 1972. As I thought through the discussion, I came to see two important problems with our system of primary elections. One problem is that they are democratic, and our system was set up specifically to avoid being a democracy, because voters in a democracy can be misled by slick appeals and charismatic personalities. As I write this, Kanye West has announced his campaign for President of the United States. Although Kanye's star has fallen in recent months, I can see how a popular vote could elect a highly popular but completely untested person to office. It should not be so. Furthermore, the political party that uses the primary method to select a candidate can be given a candidate that party leaders won't support. We saw that with Donald Trump, who was persecuted during his first term with almost no defense by his own party. The issue isn't whether Trump was right or party leaders were right. It's simply essential that the candidate and the party are in sync, win or lose. But perhaps the greatest problem with primaries is that they drag these election cycles on seemingly forever. It makes election cycles a travesty, which leaves a bad taste in the mouth of any typical citizen. We're just not that interested or encouraged by the theater of nasty politics and we're just wanting it to be over. These protracted campaigns benefit nobody, and millions of dollars are expended to influence the voters with the, without any substantive discussion of the issues. Beyond the effect on voters, the extended election cycle is also unproductive. Candidates are campaigning more than a year in order to win a four-year term, and the work of the office isn't getting done effectively during that time. Other countries select qualified candidates through a more reasonable process, and they do just fine. With that said, let's listen to the debate, and I'll return with some closing comments. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Intelligence Squared. I am John Donvan, and something I heard multiple times during my career as a foreign correspondent, living sometimes in other democracies, not always, but often, from people who lived in those democracies was... Hey, you Americans, why do your election campaigns go on for so long? So, yeah, by comparison with Canada's election campaigns, which usually start and finish in a couple of months, or Britain's, which uh, only go on for about six weeks, or Israel's, uh, where candidates are actually barred from campaigning on TV until two weeks before Election Day, we are in a system where candidates are already declared and spending TV money and roaming the state fair in Iowa a full year out from Election Day, when they still have all of those primaries yet to get through. So yes, these primaries, while there are several reasons our campaigns run longer than I think anywhere else, one of the reasons is the primaries, which begin the winter before the summer, before the election in the fall. And then there are all of those primaries for seats in Congress. Now, the Constitution doesn't say anything about primaries. So why do they exist? And are they actually a net plus for our democracy? 
Well, smart people actually disagree about that, and therefore we are going to debate right now this question. Are primary elections ruining democracy? We have two guests to debate this question, each expert in how our elections work, each having given serious thought to this question. Elaine K. Mark, who is at Brookings in the Harvard Kennedy School, and Jed Ober, former director of Democracy International, currently serving as chief of staff to a member of Congress. Both of our debaters have actually participated in primary elections themselves behind the scenes, taking part in committees and campaigns alike. So Elaine K. Mark and Jed Ober, thanks so much for joining us on Intelligence Squared. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks so much, John. Appreciate it. So to let people know who's a yes and who's a no on this question, let's just make this official. I'll let you go first, Elaine. On the question, are primary elections ruining democracy? Are you a yes or a no? I'm a yes. And Jed Ober, I'm, that makes you the O, but let's make it official. Are you a yes or no? Are primary elections ruining democracy? I am definitely a no, John, and I appreciate the opportunity to talk about this. All right. Well, let's get started, and we'll go back to you, Elaine, because your, your yes is more challenging, I would say, to the status quo. So let's have you go first and tell us why you are arguing, yes, primary elections are ruining democracy. Well, okay. Um, This is a controversial position, I understand, and it is definitely not a mainstream position. Um, The United States is the only country in the world that uses primaries exclusively to nominate their leaders. And the problem with using primaries, which in the United States we've only used for presidents exclusively since 1972, so it's relatively recent, is that we no longer have an element of peer review in our presidential nomination process. And peer review is a concept that is quite critical to every other profession, medicine, um, electricians, um, lawyers. Every, Every other profession in the United States has some place where their peers say, yes, this person is competent, no, this person is not. In European democracies, parliamentary democracies, mostly the leaders come from within a party conference and from a clo- or a clo- some kind of closed system. And most of the people participating in that actually know something about the people that they are going to elect to Um, lead their party. We have a completely different system. We have a system that has become a wide open system where anybody can run for president. Now, between in the 23 years between 1945 and 1968, the only outsider that ran and he won was Dwight D. Eisenhower. And we call him an outsider because he hadn't been in political office before. He never held a political office. He had did, however, win the war in Europe and command the Allied troops in Europe. He was a pretty big deal. So that's an exception. Then in 1972, the United States underwent a quiet revolution, and we introduced what are binding primaries, which I'll talk about a little bit later. But since then, we've had a televangelist run for president, a TV communicator, a wealthy businessman, the CEO of Godfather Pizza, a spiritual leader, a CEO of a test preparation company, not to mention tons of movie stars and other celebrities getting into the mix or being taught about. Of these, only one person won, Donald Trump. And so you've got to go back and say, Does it make sense to have a nomination system that allows people who have no 
government experience, run the most complicated and most consequential government in the world. That's what our system does. And it is a problem, and I think it's going to be more of a problem as the cost of communication decreases because of social media, and it's more likely that we will get many other candidates with absolutely no government experience um, running for the most important and complicated job in government in the world. And, and, and I think you would say proving that they can win while doing so. Yes, proving that they can win. All right. Thank you very much for your opening. And Jed Ober, why are you a no on the question, are primary elections ruining democracy? Well, thanks so much, John. I appreciate it and appreciate the opportunity to participate in this with Elaine. Nobody knows the topic better than Elaine. Um, so I'm grateful to be able to share the uh, the podcast with you. Um, so, I mean, I, I, I talk about this a lot and I think, uh, you know, one of the things that I try to um, have people picture is, uh, you know, imagine a world where, you know, we didn't have the presidential primary process in the United States of America. And you, and you can do that very, very easily by bring yourself back in time to 2008. Uh, imagine if Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama didn't compete in 57 constituencies and Americans uh, in those 57 different constituencies didn't get an opportunity to participate in that process. Uh the way that I see it, you know, primaries aren't ruining democracy. I think that they're actually a fundamental building block to a healthy democracy, maybe the fundamental building block. Um, and I think a lot of the problems that people see uh, with primaries are really symptomatic of other problems. Um, you know, Elaine was talking mostly about the presidential level. And I would say <clears throat> that, you know, many of the things she said were about the Republican nominating process. The nominating pro- and as Elaine knows, the nominating process that we use in, uh, within the Democratic Party is fundamentally different than the one that they use in the Republican Party, in my view. And the results are different. You know, we've never nominated a Donald Trump. Uh, I view the presidential primary process as, you know, the ultimate opportunity for the people to have their say uh, in choosing who the nominee for the Democratic Party should be. Uh, and the Democratic Party of the United States of America, in my experience is the most inclusive, transparent, well-functioning political party in the world. Um, and, and I just, I've, I've worked in democratic development in over 20 different countries. And I can tell you without a, without a doubt that the countries that have political parties where they actually include people in their primary processes, where they have uh, granted people the opportunity to participate in their political primaries, those democracies are stronger than the ones that don't. So fundamentally, like I said, I, I think that primaries, you know, first, political parties in and of themselves are critical building blocks for democracies. And that's that's true in the United States of America. It's true in every country, in my view. And parties that operate with primary systems that actually allow the people to participate in them are stronger ones. All right. Thank you, Jen. And thank you, Elaine. So I, I, I want to I pause the debate part for a moment and just do with your help, a little history. Um, as Elaine pointed out, uh, primaries are a relatively new phenomenon, especially their full integration into the process. She dates back to 1972 correctly, but they also didn't exist really at all until the early 20th century. Elaine, why did we 
have, why did we develop primaries in the first place? What was the goal? Okay, for most of the 20th century, um, until 1972, the way presidential candidates were nominated was in a hybrid system. And it had the elements that Jed talked about as being good for the parties, as well as the elements that I talked about, the element of peer review. So here was, here was the process. A pre- and let's take 1960 as an example. That's one of the last open presidential um, contests. In 1960, uh, Jack Kennedy and his brother, Bobby, and, and various lieutenants went around the country meeting with party officials, party bosses, if you want, in various places all around the country. In those discussions, he had to convince those party leaders of two things, that he could govern and that he could win. Okay, equally important in that process. Um, Primaries turned out to be very important for Jack Kennedy because, in fact, people wondered if a Catholic could win. So Jack Kennedy, a Roman Catholic, could win back in those days. So Jack Kennedy said, well, okay, I'm going to run in Wisconsin um, and show that I can win. So he ran in the Wisconsin primary. He won. But the party leaders looked at the tea leaves there, looked at the results and said, wait a minute, you won with a big Catholic vote. You didn't win Protestants. We're not convinced. So then he had to go to West Virginia, which had very few Roman Catholics, and he did win West Virginia. And that was sufficient to get a lot of party leaders to, you know, come on and um, support Kennedy. And he obviously had a win at the Republic at the Democratic Convention in Los Angeles. So it was a hybrid system. Primaries were used. They were used to test the viability of a candidate. But there were people that the party leaders simply wouldn't even talk about, okay, because they were clearly not um, ready to be president in the United States. They weren't ready to be a mayor, let alone president. I'll put, I'll look at my own party, and, and I disagree with Jed wholeheartedly. The Democratic process is essentially the same as the Republican process, because in 1972, what happened was the beginning of <clears throat> binding primaries, and both parties now have binding primaries. That means that unlike in 1960, where you could use the primaries to sort of see um, who you thought was electable, um, but then you chose your delegates separately, now whoever wins the primaries gets the delegates and the delegates go to a convention and they are more or less bound by the results of that primary. That means there's no place in the system right now where people who know something about government look at presidential candidates and say, this person could be a president, this person could not be. Okay, I I understand. First of all, I want to make clear that both of you are Democrats, and um, both of you, I'm sure, were were not happy with the election of Donald Trump. And I want to, I'm bringing that up because I I want to talk a little bit about what the election of President Trump implies for the thing we're discussing. And just for the sake of a lay audience, the I understand the mechanics matter a lot, but I'd like to discuss this at the level of values, the, the value of an individual person having a vote. So Donald Trump, um, Elaine, in your view, there was no peer review. Uh, and, and there were, we know, plenty of Republicans, certainly at the beginning, did not want Donald Trump to, to be nominated, but they didn't get to override, they didn't get to weigh in as peers. 
uh, Trump came into a process and through the primary process actually eliminated the candidate that the Republican establishment preferred, who was Jeb Bush, and then everybody else in line after that, while millions of Republicans supported him and, and people who were not Republicans. But in the primary, millions of Republicans supported him. So, Jed, is that an argument for the way it should have been, that the people got to choose the guy that they really wanted over the person that the party, the party machine or the party establishment would have preferred. Because there, there it is, there it is, the ultimate opportunity for people to have their say, they had their say. Sure, yeah, look, uh, no, I, you are absolutely right. You know, I, we, I was not happy with the election of Donald Trump and, and uh, worked very hard to defeat him in the general election. Unfortunately, we didn't. Um, but but a smoke-filled no, smoke room would not have allowed that to happen. That's right. I, I, th- I think that's accurate. Although now you look at the Republican Party, I'm not convinced that would happen. I think maybe he would be, he would be that. But you're right. All right. But I, think, I want you, yeah, but, I want you but, to take this on as a challenge to sure, your thesis. Sure, sure. Okay. No, no, no. I totally understand. And I, I completely I, I agree with you that you know the Republican Party at that point in time would not have selected Donald Trump. However, I think that if they had made my argument you know, within our party – and I haven't, you know, I haven't advocated for changes to our nominating system because I think, you know, they are the they would be the greatest changes for small d democracy. I want to win elections. Uh, I think that we open up our nominating process. We allow more people to participate in it. It's the ultimate vetting process for our our candidate. The candidate that comes out of that process, I guarantee you, will be more competitive in the general election if they participate in a nationwide nominating process that includes more Americans than less. And Why do you think that? Yeah, make b- that case, please. Because yeah. I, I truly believe that the more people you let participate in a primary process, the more likely you're going to end up with a candidate that's more palatable in a general election. And I think that's true up and down the ballot. Um, and the reality is that the Republicans, you know, absolutely, they, they elected Donald Trump um, through the process that they have. But as I think I pointed out before, that I think their nominating process is imperfect, and I think they should make it. it it's it, it's. I think it's you know it's very but, difficult but, but for but a political. So so it's, Jed, it's, I, I, I'm I'm not the one here to debate you, but I mm-hmm. I, ju- I just feel there's an argument that that is not that you're not addressing that mm-hmm. uh, that is a challenge. That this was a case where the people got what they wanted. Well, yeah, and then in the general election he won, so the people ultimately did get what they wanted, and he won three states. Very by by very narrow margins, but you know the reality is is that you know the the way that the system worked, you know he became president. You know if you know we you know I can't I agree with you that you know if they had had a smoke filled room at that particular time they would not have chosen Donald Trump. But that's not the world we live in. Like mm-hmm. we have a we have a we have a, dem- a democracy where people get to participate in the primaries. So I you know and that's a fundamental. You know, like I said, I, I view that as a fundamental part of our democracy. Do I agree with the way the Republicans did it? No. Do I agree with the way that, um, you know, the, who they nominated? No. I will say on the Democratic side, you know, we we kind of almost had this, you know, Bernie Sanders is no Donald Trump. Uh, you know, that, that's obviously very clear. Um, however, he is not a Democrat. Um, and, you know, he almost won our nominating process twice. Um, I don't You know, maybe that's a little bit. Hyperbolic, but let me let me let me jump in on this. Um, look, I agree that in this day and age, we are not going to get rid of presidential primaries. 
Okay, let's put that out there. However, what I am looking for, and I'm open to suggestions, but I have some of my own ideas, is a way to put some element of peer review back into the process. And that may mean a superdelegate vote that happens early on before the primaries so that basically people who know something about government can say, we think these five people are, are best equipped to be president of the United States. We don't think these four people are. I mean, do you really think Marianne Williamson could be president, would be a good president of the United States? I don't. Okay, we, the lots of Republicans did not think that Donald Trump could be a good president of the United States, and they were probably right. And I would say that even without a partisan hat on. So, you know, think think about it this way: in the old system, in 1960, Jack Kennedy had to go to Governor Lawrence, who was the powerful governor of Pennsylvania and sit down in a smoke-filled room, probably with some bourbon or whiskey, and say, here's why I should be president, here's what I can do, here's what I believe in, here's how I can win. Imagine if Donald Trump had had to go through that process with a similar powerful governor of a state, and he sat down and said, I'm going to build a wall on the southern border, President would, the governor would have probably said, okay, uh, I can see that might be popular. And then Donald Trump said, and I'm going to make Mexico pay for it. One of the stupidest statements ever made, how on earth would we make another sovereign company, country pay for it unless we invaded them? Okay, the, the governor would say, are you kidding us? Are you crazy? How would you do that? Okay, in other words, the peer review process is a process that gets us people who know what they are talking about. And Donald Trump clearly didn't in that campaign. So my, my suggestion in, in books that I've written, et cetera, is not that we get rid of primaries, but that we do something that says to the primary voters, look, these are the people we think are capable of being president. And these are the people we don't think are. And then the primary voters can, can pick. But right now in both parties, both parties, and that's a misnomer, Jed, in both parties, the primaries are binding upon delegates. That whether it's proportional or winner take all doesn't matter for this argument. They are binding on delegates, which means that when a person like Trump or a Marianne Williamson or somebody else wins the most delegates, and even with people in the party saying, oh my God, this is a disaster, they can't do anything about it. That's a dangerous process for democracy. And we have seen it play out in 2016 and in the four years between 2016 and 2020. And we are now looking at a situation where for the first time in our history, our very democracy and election system is being threatened by this man. And frankly, the Republican Party knew he was not a good guy. When in, back in 2016, I went to the Republican convention there for my book to do research, and people said to me things like, oh, this is our McGovern year. They thought he was going to lose, and therefore they'd get a pass on having supported him. Governors, Republican governors didn't show up to that convention. Republican senators didn't show up to that convention. They knew that they were walking into a disaster. 
Jed, you, Jed, you, you talked about uh, other other places where you've worked overseas where the absence of a primary process was detrimental to democracy. Talk a little bit about more about wh- why you feel that's the case, because it sounds like it's it's the ultimate smoke-filled room situation in the places you're talking about. Yeah, and and these are very different contexts, obviously, um, in my view, and you know, in mostly developing countries. So they're to choose one problem above the rest is difficult in analyzing the kind of strength of their democracies and what's needed to be done. But yeah, I mean, I mean, look, you know, in most of these systems are, are parliamentary party list systems. Um, you know, you know, interestingly, a lot of these countries have direct election of the president. Um, you know, but the reality is, is in their legislative branches, which, you know, many times are unicameral, uh, not having a party, not having a primary process essentially just, you know, eliminates the participation of anyone except for the elite. I mean, that's just the reality of it. Uh, to get placed on a party list in, you know, many, many countries, um, you know, by party leadership, you know, is essentially, uh, you know, an act of corruption, <laughs> I mean, you know. Uh, and that, you know, there's layers of issues with that. Um, but, you know, in many, many places that I've worked, um, you know, the idea of parties, you know, actually without, without a quota that requires them to, the idea of them actually nominating women on a list, you know, is, is, is extremely far-fetched. What, what does it say that we got George Washington without a primary system and we got Abraham Lincoln without a primary system? Mm-hmm. I'm not sure which of you would want to take that question. Oh, and we got we got Roosevelt without a primary system. We got Kennedy without a primary system. We did just fine without a primary system. Look, the problem with most of the time, our primary system has worked pretty well. The problem that we saw that came to light in 2016 is there is a great vulnerability to the primary system which is that once the primary system moved to binding primaries, and that's the critical change, once you had the delegates were bound to the presidential candidate they got elected for and really had very little wriggle room to change their minds, um, you were stuck with a candidate who could, in fact, with a very small percentage of the vote, because remember, these primaries are have very low turnout traditionally, um, It favors, you can find a candidate getting nominated who has an intense fraction of the party vote and does not represent the party and doesn't represent the the entirety. So there are two points of view with a little anti-Donald Trump innuendo thrown in. What makes sense, though? The spokespeople for and against primary elections missed what I think is the overriding consideration. Year-long campaigns for four-year terms is not conducive to good government. The candidates lose productive time, and the voters become weary of too much politics. Here's what I suggest. Let the leaders of political parties choose their candidates so each party can have a candidate that reflects the party platform. Then the people can decide which party they want to support based on the issues rather than personalities. If enough people want a different choice... A candidate can run as an independent, or another party might form. Let's tear down the two-party system and encourage the formation of more parties reflecting the people's true beliefs. 
and limit political campaigns to six months or less. Thanks for joining us today. Until next time, go out and do good. 